Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Acquisitions Anonymous. I am one of your hosts, Bill D'Alessandro, and this should be airing in January. So happy new year to everybody. Happy 2024. Uh, this is a fun one to start the year off with. It is a specialty custom desserts manufacturing company in New York that makes logo desserts and sells to theme parks and companies and all kinds of unique end markets. So this was a really fun one. We actually thought it'd be a good fit for a searcher. Um, so you got the whole crew today. It's me and Michael and Heather and Mills, all of us. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. This episode of Acquisitions Anonymous is sponsored by Acquisition Lab. Acquisition Lab uh, and their team, they've been longtime supporters of the pod, and they provide a really great service for people who are looking to acquire a business. So it's created by Walker Dybel, who's become a friend, uh, the author of Buy Then Build, How to Outsmart the Startup Game. Uh, so Acquisition Lab's an accelerator with a highly vetted cohort-based educational and support community for people who are serious about buying a business. So a lot of our listeners like you, you tune in every week to our deal reviews. You want to get in on buying a business. Uh, you know, you're on this podcast because you're trying to learn how to buy a business. But if you're not quite sure where to start, Acquisition Lab is a great place to start. So they exist to help people buy a business and to navigate all those complexities of the process. Everything you hear us talk about on the show, they provide a proven framework, tools, and resources that support you all the way from search to close. Uh, they do it. There's a whole bunch of educational material uh, and support. So if you're serious about buying a business, check out acquisitionlab.com, or you can actually email the program director, uh, Chelsea Wood, directly. Her email is chelsea at buythenbuild.com. So the best part of these recordings for me, guys, is, uh, you know, Bill is in the middle of his day. He's had some cup of coffee. He's super perky. It's 1030 there. And Heather is just like, oh, my God, it's 730 in the morning. It's beautiful <laughs> here in Southern California. What are you guys doing to me? Which I think puts me in the middle of this sandwich uh, here being in the flyover America part. And it's like, it, anyway, it's a treat. It couldn't be more true today, too, because I'm at, we're at, you know, almost year end. And so I'm like as tired as, you know, I'll ever be throughout the year. Uh, yeah. So that's, it was a rough one this morning to get up. <laughs> this, is, well, this is one of the untold perks of living on the East Coast, which is that the entire global economy is Eastern Standard Time centric. Like, it, uh, like when you live on the East Coast, like it is the <laughs> ultimate privilege. You just book meetings whenever the heck you want them to be, and the West Coast people deal with it. <laughs> you guys are jerks. Yeah, we're like, it's 5 a.m. Oh, well, okay, I guess we're going to be on the call at 5 a.m. Okay. <laughs> right. I have concluded the optimal time to be on, depending upon whether you're dealing mostly with Central or mostly Eastern, is either Central or Mountain. Because if you're on Mountain, you're an hour ahead of all of the California people. So, but you still get like that feeling where your NFL games start at like 11 in the morning. Uh, but then like, if you want to just, you know, your meetings are starting earlier in the day, like 9 30, 10 o'clock, you know, in the morning at the latest. And it's like, you're not having to do that thing. I think you're stuck with Bill, which is like, okay, like this meeting starts at 5 PM. Like that doesn't happen when you're in mountain, like the day just gets going. That is true. I have several 5 PM meetings because of West coasters. You know, we try to compromise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I brought a deal. It's the holiday season. By the way, we're recording these during the holiday season. Everybody's going to see them in January and be like, why do these guys keep talking about Christmas? Well, it's December 22nd. So <laughs> sorry to all of our loyal listeners. But because of the holiday this season, I brought Heather a deal about Heather's favorite thing. It's no, dessert. it's not horses, Heather. It's maybe it's just my favorite thing. It's dessert. It's everybody's favorite thing. I think. <laughs> everybody's yeah. favorite I'll thing. put my hand up. I love dessert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that sucks about getting older, by the way, is my wife and I, there's certain desserts we can't eat after dinner anymore. Like some chocolatey mm. ones. 
Sucks. Sad. Do, can you eat them at like 10 in the morning for no reason just to experience them? Or I can't. I don't know about her. No. <laughs> She's got problems. <laughs> That's very sad. So I have a lot to look forward to. That's great. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not great. Okay. So, uh, Biz Buy Sell. So um, it's a specialty dessert manufacturer with great cash flow and limited competition located in New York City with seller financing available. They have a picture here of a lady with a hairnet operating a dessert, automated dessert machine. Asking price is $3 million, says NA on cash flow. Gross revenue is $1.6 million. EBITDA is $600,000. So they're basically at five times EBITDA. Established in 2014, FF&E is $350,000 worth of furniture, fixtures, and equipment. The business description is a manufacturer of a dessert product, expected exponential growth. 10-year-old New York City company manufacturing a high-end specialty dessert product and selling through wholesale distributors. They are approved vendors to highly coveted and high-profile customers, which include high-end national supermarket chains, multiple famous amusement parks, zoos, cruise lines, wholesale direct suppliers, well-known food halls, and many more. The company has consistently demonstrated year-over-year growth in both sales and profitability. They turned down many requests from well-known customers to keep their profit margins high while maintaining simpler operations. So I will pause there, and then there's a second paragraph we'll come to. But it looks like, in summary, a mechanized New York City-based dessert manufacturer that does some sort of specialty dessert selling for about five times EBITDA. Is that how you guys read this, too? That's what it looks like to me. It's It's a a New York county, by the way. So it's not technically like Manhattan, but it is right there. It's interesting. It says New York, New York. So this could be in Queens or... Any of that kind of stuff. I don't I don't know where the New York County ends. I assume it's the whole city, but and what do I do? My immediate question is why the heck would you manufacture anything in New York City unless all of your customers were right there in New York City as well? So I'd be really curious about how local and fresh this business is. So like have you guys ever looked at bread routes or any of that type of stuff? Um, where you gotta like wake up at four in the morning and restock the bread. And it's got to be made semi-locally because it's got to be fresh and it's got to be on the shelves by the time the supermarket opens or the time whatever opens. Uh, like, I wonder if this has an element of that. They said national supermarket chains, but maybe it's just serving the local, you know, the, the local stores of those chains. Because I did see a pizza dough business in New York City one time, which is pretty interesting. But at least you kind of think of New York pizza and it kind of made sense, I guess, being manufactured there. But yeah, anything else that's kind of just generic, not really associated with New York it only the only reason to be there would be if you're only serving the local geography because it has to be fresh. That's I agree with you. When I first saw this, I thought, oh, this is like, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but the majority of restaurants actually cook their food, but then they import like the the desserts, right? Because desserts can be refrigerated. They they can they don't get, you know, they they don't it's not like regular food where after 10 minutes they don't taste as good as when it's fresh out of the oven. Like they're that way. Plus you don't necessarily want to have like a dessert chef, like on staff. So that's what I first thought this was. This is one of those centralized, like service to high-end restaurants that like produces these specialty desserts and get them delivered. And here's your tiramisu and all that stuff. But then they list the customers are like amusement parks and zoos and cruise lines. So it makes me wonder, like, are they like, you know, knockoff dilly bars or something dumb like that? So it's just kind of confusing. Well, it's also a little weird that it says they sell through wholesale distributors, and then they list their customers as national supermarket chains, multiple famous amusement parks, zoos, cruise lines, wholesale direct suppliers, food halls. Do you think these are just their end consumers that are served through their wholesaler or are they also selling direct? 
There may be some clues here in this second paragraph. So let me read that. They have the ability to produce proprietary patterns to accommodate their customers' logos on the product, which differentiates them from their very few list of competitors. They do not have a marketing or sales team and only run one shift per day, which can be increased to three shifts per day at maximum capacity. They developed a patented automated production machinery, which if put to its full capabilities can quadruple production. They are trademarked, vegan certified, SQF certified, Girdly certified with proprietary recipes. They're not really Girdly (laughs) certified. That was just a joke. Um, (laughs) My kids don't laugh at my dad jokes, so I stick you guys with them. Um, Projected revenue increase of 50% each year going forward at current operations with a marketing and sales team and increased production revenue growth will be all caps exponential. Price includes intellectual property, patent and trademark, and their unique brand. So the thing to answer, the reason I wanted to read that, Bill, you asked like what they make, and there's this interesting kind of produce proprietary patterns to accommodate their customers' logos on the product, which differentiates them from very few list of competitors. And that reminds me of going to the zoo or Disney, and there's Mickey Mouse, you know, there's a a dessert in the shape of Mickey Mouse's head, right, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mean, that second paragraph, I gotta say, I kind of like it. Right. So it says that they've got a lot of excess capacity on the fixed equi- on the uh, investments they've already made. It says they've got patents and some sort of intellectual property, which I mean, I'd have to diligence that. But if they've got some sort of thing that lets them do Mickey Mouse's face in an automated way for lower costs, that could be interesting. It says they can quadruple production with the full capabilities of their automated production machinery. Sounds good. It's interesting to me that this is, it, it looks like it's just one product. They say manufacturing a high-end specialty dessert product. It makes me think like of Dippin' Dots, which not, it's not to the same scale, but it's not like, hey, we just make, you know, frozen cakes and ship them or frozen pies. I wonder if it's like one really signature, interesting kind of thing. It could be. I mean, they say very little competition. They say they've got intellectual property. You know, maybe it's something unique. Um, this is starting to sound cool to me. I don't know. What about you guys? Food manufacturing is always tough. I, you know, that's the only part about this. So I go, ooh, <laughs> it's you know, there's there's uh, a lot of regulation uh, because of health and safety. It is perishable, and you have to really manage your inventory and your delivery routes. Um, so it's never an easy business. But for a food business, food manufacturing business, this does sound pretty interesting. The logo part. Wow. I mean, it kind of reminds me of those for a little while. Uh, a lot of drink places around here had uh, the ability to put a design into the foam of your drink. You could actually upload a picture and it would like of your child and it would make, you know, put their picture on that. It sounds something like something cool like that. And I think um, that would be very, very interesting. But I do wonder how far outside of the local territory you could expand with that. That's a that's a big part of this, right? Is how much can you grow it? Because they say they've got excess capacity here. Uh, so if you grow it, obviously a lot of that's going to drop to the bottom line. But then I look at it and I go, it's in New York, New York. Is there something local to this? Does Do they have to have local customers, which is absolutely going to cap your growth? So that's a dynamic I want to understand. If I can sell nationally and I've got patent protected manufacturing technique and excess capacity, and they don't currently have a sales team, that sounds interesting, unless there's an obvious reason they don't have a sales team, which is that they either can't serve any more demand or there is not any more demand or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I, I know, did I see that it was vegan as well? It did yes, say that. it says vegan. Well, it's vegan certified. Yeah. Yeah, which I, could be some of the niche. So it's, it's not serving. like a flan. 
Well, that's like, not eggs. I'm just trying so to think. I don't what know is what so is. specialty? Yeah. yeah, they use vegan eggs for that. They're they're new. That's true. They have vegan eggs for <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Who knows what it is? But it's it. But I think that that makes it kind of another dimension. Okay, that's a a, a market, a pr- very niche market, but is growing, and so that would be interesting. It, it, it's all about, I guess, shelf life, shipping, and growth here. You know, excess capacity isn't really worth much in your production line if you can't find a market for it. <laughs> so, or you don't have the excess capacity to deliver the product uh, f- further away. So it seems like they're doing logoed stuff, right? So they're putting Mickey Mouse's face on it. If you can ship it, I think you're in a really good position here to do a lot more sales and marketing, right? You can do outreach to every company, every everybody with a logo basically and go, do you want customized desserts for your staff for Christmas, for a big event, for all of your best clients? You know, any of these things, which is probably not how they think about it right now. They probably think about it as like a food service business to sell you a bunch of Mickey Mouse heads that you sell at Disneyland, you know, or whatever it might be. But if they can do customized stuff at scale and ship it naturally and it has shelf life, there's a lot of growth here, especially when you've got a set of logos that includes national high-end supermarket chains, famous multiple amusement parks, zoos, cruise lines, et cetera. You can say, we make all their fancy desserts. Did you have it at whatever restaurant, we can make it for your clients. I mean, that's pretty compelling. You just need to sell the crap out of that. Right. Even the wedding business, you know, they like to have customized things at the weddings. That mm-hmm. that could be really interesting market there. But like you said, it has to be, you know, we have to know more about whether this product can ship, what capacity, you know, what size batch they have to make, you know, can they do small batch logos or does it have to be, you know, pretty huge? That I think matters. I think that's too. the absolute critical thing, right? Do I have to run 5,000 here or 10,000 or can I run a hundred? Right. Yeah. Have you guys ever looked at a business called Tiff's, Tiff's Treats? Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. Is this a cookie business? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's cookie delivery.com basically. And what they did was they've basically taken the market of like B2B gifting and replaced it with cookies. Right. And so basically they have all these little like I would say really cheap kind of baking and distribution centers uh, to where you can call these guys cookiedelivery.com, I think is what it is, or cookies.com, one of the two. And like they're all over Texas now. They started in Austin and they will like you call and order, you give them a hundred bucks and they go deliver like four dozen cookies to an office. Right. And it's like, it's this idea of like the cookies get baked really quickly and then they show up as a, you know, a treat at your, your, for a holiday gift or whatever for B2B type stuff. So it replaces like the old, you know, uh, the old like Pepperidge farm basket that everybody used to give. It's no, like, that this kind is of nothing but cakes, but something you actually want to eat. Uh, well, the cookies <laughs> kind of suck. I mean, that's the first thing I'll uh, tell you. They taste, they taste kind of chemically. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like them whenever they show up. I'm like, oh, these freaking cookies. Cause they, there's something about the way they use the ingredients that they don't taste like my mom's. So they're bad. And, but anyway, the point, yeah, about nothing but cakes or all this kind of stuff or like flowers, right? It's like when you give somebody flowers, it's not about the flowers. It's that you spent time to do something special for them and you thought of them and you took the effort. You know, that's the immediate thing that comes to mind for this, for me, especially if they're in New York City, is like, why aren't people ordering specialty custom desserts with the logo of their thing or whatever from these guys and having it go straight, you know, to to customers, where the job to be done is to show somebody some value, not to buy a dessert, if that makes sense. All right, taking a quick pause here. I have something to tell you. This is Michael. I hate bookkeeping. 
I hate bookkeeping. I hate doing HR. I hate doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, but for bookkeeping, I have found a solution. It is um, my friend Charlie's business called cloudbookkeeping.com. So that's cloudbookkeeping.com. Uh, they are your perfect partner if you want to get bookkeeping out of your hair and focus on making your company, cu- your customers happier and more successful. So um, please give them a call. Call Charlie, cloudbookkeeping.com. Tell them we sent you. Uh, they're a great way if you're a business buyer, if you're a business owner, you're tired of hassling uh, with getting your bookkeeping done. He's got a whole fleet of people that are well-trained and work for him. Uh, he's located here in San Antonio. So I can tell you because of that, he's awesome. And uh, they're a great partner for you to potentially call to help with all your bookkeeping needs so you can do the important stuff in your business uh, rather than worry about getting your books right. So uh, give Charlie a call, cloudbookkeeping.com. And now back to the episode. What is the best Christmas present y'all have ever gotten from like a vendor or a customer? Like, what's the best work Christmas present y'all have ever gotten? Chili's gift card. Obviously. <laughs> okay, so you're welcome. Mile away. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I, I can go first while you guys think. We yeah. have a distributor in the UK who distributes our stuff in the UK. And every year he sends us this giant box of like unique British candy like that you can't get in the United States. Like I like I don't recognize any of the brands or if you recognize the brands, it's not SKUs they have here. And he just sends us this pile of it to our office and it's all unique, weird, good stuff. And we look forward to it every year. I love that one. So when I used to do M&A work, uh, we would give all of our clients, we were an M&A firm and we managed money for a handful of families. And we would send those Harry and David gift boxes with like pears, you know, and like dried meat and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And we, we worked with like about 65 families. So we send out the gift boxes and then like the next day we see this, like what we think is a fraudulent charge for like way, way, way more than we planned, uh, for Harry and David's and the people at Harry and David's accidentally sent 47 boxes to every client (laughs) instead of one box to every client. And so it was like this like, you know, over a hundred thousand dollar. Yeah. Yeah. It was like over a hundred thousand dollar order. And it was already too late, like because of it was holidays, how quickly they shipped. And so every single client had 47 boxes show up on their doorstep. And they were just, you know, at that point, they're just like giving them away. Like the mailman needs to take some, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, like everybody was just like, you know, you really got to step up next year because one Harry and David's box is really going to be disappointing next year. <laughs> That's awesome. I think somebody lost their job at Harry and David's for keying that That's in. Holy wow. cow. Holy cow. I must be in a bad mood this morning. Cause all I can think of are the bad gifts I've gotten, <laughs> um, that I just didn't really, wasn't too excited about. Like I, I don't, at being a woman in a man's kind of industry, you tend to get like uh, scotch or whatever, I, I, you know, because they bought it for everybody. <laughs> or dress socks. <laughs> dress socks. <laughs> I didn't want scotch. Yeah, I, I give it away. You know, I give it to, yeah. to my male family members or whatever, because it's not stuff that I really want. Uh, and, and this year I got, I mean, it was a really nice bottle, but a bottle of, you know, fancy Jose Cuervo tequila. I mean, it, the dark kind, I, I don't know. And, you know, I wouldn't drink that. I gave that to my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that in, in one year, uh, somebody gave me like a Rush Limbaugh book and I, it was not the right gift for me. Like, <laughs> what a poor choice. What? Like, what? Yeah, work. <laughs> for, a, for a political book gift at, for crit, like that it is, is a bad choice. It's pretty horrible. Choice. I never forgot that one. That was pretty bad. 
Wow. You would yeah. have like customized desserts with your firm's logo on it. I much would be much, much happier with this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, who, who should do this deal? Or how would somebody figure out if they should do this deal? Because I think, I mean, the first initial reaction is like, there's a lot of people in the food manufacturing and niche food manufacturing business, and there's natural buyers for something like this. And they've seemingly all passed on it because this looks, this listing looks like it's been around for a while. But like, A, like, A, how would we figure out who should look at this? And B, like, well, who should look at this? (laughs) So what do you guys think? It's too small for most independent sponsors. So it's in this weird no man's land where an owner operator can't, you know, can't, can't do this deal. And it's, it's too big of a hurdle to get over. I just am dying to know what it is. I think this is searcher red meat right here. $600,000 of EBITDA. I mean, you probably can't pay 5X for it as a searcher, but, you know, maybe with an earnout or something. I mean, this is prime SBA right over home plate. Right, Heather? It's I would say so. I, transaction. I mean, size-wise, it definitely is. I think any if they're trying to get SBA debt, any lender is going to want somebody with some kind of industry experience they can feel safe with because it is manufacturing, any kind of manufacturing. And then you add food and you need someone with a resume. And a lot of searchers don't have this kind of resume. So it'd be kind of a unique... We, we have a group of searchers we call mid-career searchers. You know, they they are maybe in their 40s, they've got some significant work experience and they're leaving corporate world, you know, to search maybe somebody in there that has the right kind of experience for this could do it with an SBA loan. So Heather, is it really that important? Like if I rolled up and wanted to buy this business, am I not going to get an SBA loan for it? You're going to find that the field of lenders gets pretty, pretty small uh, if you don't have the right kind of resume or you can't somehow convince them you've got transferable experience. So one of the things we coach people on um, is not, we don't want to see your resume, your generic resume that you might use for getting a job. We want to see a buyer profile that highlights any and everything in your background that prepared you for this business, because that's what the lenders are trying to scrutinize. So yeah, there's a, there's a, a good chance without, um, you know, a good story to tell about why you're a good fit for this, that you would not get the loan, even though the numbers might work. I didn't realize it was that stringent. I mean, I thought I could make a pitch, you know, like I'm a really great marketer. We got this thesis around selling logoed cookies all over the internet. We really think we can grow this thing, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that would kind of, I kind of thought this was a check the box item that if you were kind of, if you were good at the spin, you it didn't really trip you up. But you're, are you telling me it's a little bit more intense than that? It depends is what I'm telling you. So manufacturing gets a little more scrutinized than, you know, some other B2B service. Um, so the lenders kind of have certain hot buttons where they're like, wait, I'll let, you know, I'll let someone come in without experience as long as they kind of sell me on themselves in many industries. But when it comes to something manufacturing of anything, uh, that it, that changes. And then you add the food component to it. And I think it changes even more. So it's kind of it, and it depends answers. There's plenty of businesses where lenders are okay with you out you having direct industry experience, but manufacturing a little tougher. So, Bill, you're not as you're not as persuasive as you think. I guess not. I, well, Heather's on to me. That's the problem. I need to go find a different lender. <laughs> you got to start over. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I do. I do want to give this broker credit because I tried one of my tricks, which is you take the image that they have in the in the listing, and you Google image search it to see if it shows up someplace else. And uh, it turns out this is a stock photo. 
So ah. this is not the real thing. So we can't guess so. what the, because I've been trying to guess what the dessert was from this photo the whole time. This is pretty close to praline manufacturing is the closest thing I can see. But yeah, kudos, kudos to the broker for, they know they're onto my little tricks. Maybe they are the listeners of the podcast. Pre- pretty soon, Michael, we keep doing this long enough. All the brokers are going to figure us out and, th- and they're going to change all their pictures. They're going to take all their hats off. They're going to stop touching their face. <laughs> they're not going to touch gonna their stock face. Photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to block, block me on social media. It's probably the first stop. <laughs> uh, look, I, here's the thing I like about this and I, I'm turning over. To, by the way, whose cat is part of the podcast today? I, I'm going to go get her. Sorry. <laughs> She's doing <laughs> a great job. Get, let's get her in here. Maybe she wants okay. to buy the business. Oh, hold on. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Maybe she's like, she's, somebody maybe say she's special new desserts? <laughs> Does she like, yeah. <laughs> Look, I think when you see something like this that just doesn't make sense, that's a sign that there's opportunity to go dig into, right? And it's the stuff that like, you're like, why does a sane person have this listing and why did they do these little things? Like sometimes it's worth your, worth your time. And Bill talks about, you know, I loved how you talked about there's some ways that this could be a very interesting business. If you have a specialty corner of stuff or you have the opportunity to grow it by going f- further from B to B to B to C or directly, like all that's really exciting to me. So like, I think that's my takeaway from this is like, if you're a creative deal maker and you like interesting problems, like when you see stuff like this, like go check it out. Like this is where, this is where you find alpha in my opinion. I'm dying to know what this is. Well, I know what you should do after it, like, this, Bill. Threads. <laughs> I'm signing the NDA. I already got the link in our chat. Uh, <laughs> Good job. But like the it it threads the needle in such an interesting way because it's specialty desserts. I, like part of my suspicion is that you could get in and realize that like it's you know it's New York based. Like I don't know is like Six Flags or Disney World or like is there is there one place that has like massive customer concentration or like Carnival Cruise Lines is forty percent of their business or something? I just I, it's really piqued my interest. I'm curious. I think there's a there's a bunch of things that could kill it. Right, Mills, like you like you get and kind of that small business MA, right? You you try to find something that has a whiff of that this will be really great unless I can disqualify it. Right. So yeah, you can come in, but this is the type of one that there could be the gold nugget in the middle. If it's special, it's not just some generic special dessert, like it's got big corporate customers, it might be able to scale, they've got some IP. You know, you might come in here and find that this is really interesting and not just your run of the mill, especially dessert manufacturer. Or you may come in here and find that the broker totally oversold it and they're 75% to one Disney theme park. And it's, you know, something that anybody can do. And there's, and the IP is pointless, but you just don't know until you look at it. I'm interested. How would you guys diligence this IP, right? Like they probably got some patent sounds like on a machine, that I don't know, fills cannolis or makes bonbons or I don't know what it does. Um, how in the world do you diligence whether this patent is actually valuable or whether it's kind of one of those vanity patents that people get? You start with a lawyer, I guess, and you and you probably need an engineer, you know, if it is, you know, a manufacturing, um, you know, specialty. Uh, and a lot of small business and intellectual property is vanity. You know, it wasn't necessary. And it actually gums up a lot of SBA deals because the SBA requires you to transfer the intellectual property with the sale, even if you don't need to, like trademarks. And it, it, it gets to be a real pain if somebody's got a bunch of vanity trademarks and you've got to transfer all of them, whether you need them or not. So uh, with SBA, you're kind of stuck buying that. 
But yeah, is it is it a useful patent? I think you need an attorney, maybe and an engineer to tell you. Yeah. What I have seen, Bill, also there are in in the patent world, it's a pretty diverse world. And like you can go find patent attorneys and trademark attorneys, for example, who were formerly engineers or trained in food science or worked in that industry. And so I would go start there. Um, you know, once I got past kind of my market diligence and was ready to start spending more money on it, I would go see if I could find somebody like that who specializes in patent and trademark in this particular niche. And um, a lot of times I think it could save, Heather, what you're talking about, it could save having to hire two people. You just hire one person who does this all the time and that's their specialty. So that's that's what I would do, but I definitely wouldn't do it until I take a deep look at my kind of market diligence and have a good investing thesis. Yeah, I'd also want to understand like, you know, when somebody says they have a patent, right? The patent is only valuable if it lets you, if it gives you an unfair advantage in competition, right? right? So I would want to observe, is it patently obvious, no pun intended, that this company has an unfair advantage, right? Like, are they materially cheaper than their competitors? Are they able to do materially smaller runs or materially bigger runs? You know, is, is their pricing different? Like, can they do something that no one else can do? Like, literally, do they have a capability? Um, so less than just looking like reading the legal document, I would look at their business and say, what competitive advantages does this business have? And are those the things enabled by the patent? If, they've, if they're trumpeting this patent and it is not conferring any observable competitive advantage, you got to wonder how valuable is this patent? And going back to what Michael said, I mean, usually the market will tell you, you know, if the person's like, I have this amazing intellectual property around proprietary chocolate chip cookies, then you know, it kind of falls flat on his face or like we have a unique way to make cupcakes, but they're just cupcakes. Like, okay, stop, you know, don't pass go. But if, if it's actually something that is unique, creates unique distribution, unique actual product, you know, unique fulfillment, something right. That is truly defensible. Then the intellectual property will probably prove itself out. But then they also have to have a history of defending their intellectual property. If you want it to be worth it or Cool. This is a good one. Well, Mills, let us know what you figure out. Be the best holiday gift ever when you your your holiday gifts are gonna go <laughs> through the roof in terms You'll of know because you're gonna get some in the mail, Michael. <laughs> Great. You know, Great. This is not forty seven, I hope. <laughs> not forty seven. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hilarious. So I go to my gym this morning, by the way. I, n- I joined a new CrossFit gym. So I go to the gym and uh we do the whole workout. You know, this wasn't that strenuous. It was okay. And then like the class runs over, and as we're walking out the door. The instructor goes like, hey, wait, I forgot something. And he brings out like this giant tray of like cookies and cupcakes and dessert and all this stuff. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, bro, I just worked out for like an hour at 545 in the morning and you want me to eat a cupcake? Like, what, how's, this, you try, how's this work? It was like <laughs> fresh, like for you to eat right now, not like- Yeah, yeah, like, it's like, here's a cupcake or some fudge. I was like, what? why is this what? my problem? At a gym? Yeah, 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 that's wrong. Why is this my problem? That's weird, especially at 5.45 in the morning. Like that's that's an aggressive start to your day, just a big chunk of fudge <laughs> at 6 a.m. <laughs> so I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. All right, let's cut it out there. And uh, yeah, happy holidays, everybody. Well, when they read it, it'll be happy, happy 2024. Happy New everybody. Year. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. <laughs>